Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to this free episode of Dunk Don. This is a recording of a live mailbag Nate and Danny did on our Discord channel. It's a great uh, feature for members to participate in these conversations, to ask questions, uh, to go back and forth with Nate and Danny a little bit, to just to discuss basketball. Uh, not only do Nate and Danny sometimes do these live mailbags, they also do text chats in the Discord, and there are just a ton of people, Dunked On Prime subscribers, in the Discord every day talking about basketball, different topics. It's a lot of fun. It's one of the, um, I'd say, more underrated uh, aspects of a Dunked On Prime membership, the Discord. So if you want to join Dunked on Prime, take advantage and be able to access the Discord, along with everything else, of course, the podcast, the Daily Dunks, uh, Seth Partnow's statistical analysis. There's a lot more. Just want to highlight the Discord a little bit today. If you want to join Dunked on Prime to get access to that, you can do so at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Okay, welcome on to our second edition here of our Discord live mailbag. A reminder, not only can you jump in here and listen live, not only can you jump in and ask questions, see uh, so many people in here that I recognize already, looking forward to hearing from all of you, uh, but you can jump in as well in the live mailbag chat if you are not able to actually get online here. So, and then you can ask questions via text and we will answer them. Should we start here with uh, Andreas, Danny? Yeah, I think... I think we should. So reminder that you can get, put yourself in the queue, show a request, and we will answer them as we put people in. Yeah. Now, to, uh, of course, uh, Mark Edwards, there's no chance Danny is bringing him up, but uh, <laughs> zero chance. Uh, Andreas, what do you got no, for Always us? a chance. Uh, hey, guys. Yeah, I've been thinking about Cade Cunningham, who I think has a really kind of a make or break year next year. Uh, and my question is, you know, he's obviously got the pedigree, but then the numbers haven't been there so far. Uh, what what do you think or what would you like to see from him in his third year that would make you still feel good about him as a prospect? And just to, to make it concrete, like, say, has a realistic chance of being the number one option on a good offense? Because so far, you know, uh, his numbers are he's got the usage, you know, he's averaging 26, 27 percent usage on basketball reference but his true shooting has been 50 percent both years he's in the league which is now six and a half points worse than the league average so what would you like to see from him next year that makes you still feel like he he could uh hit that upside danny why don't you take this first i've talked about this a little bit with john so but uh, you and i haven't talked about this as much 
it's always hard with a young guy. And, and I don't like to think of any season for a player as young as Kate Cunningham is, as make or break. Now, maybe for their perception as a prospect during their youngest years, sure. But it can take, especially lead creators, it can take them a while. I mean, for example, I, I bring up Mike Conley a lot. But if, you, if we thought about Mike Conley after his second or third year, like that would be it would be different than what he became at, at his best. And remember, Kate Cunningham came into the league young as well. But the bigger question to me, um, I'll, for I, I use Nate's phrasing on this because I think it's really useful, is how often is he creating an advantage? And if the idea basically behind being a really good creator is that you have to generate that somehow, that could be through a great handle, it could be through physical dominance, it could be through having the jump shots so people come out and then you can drive past them, change the speeds, lots of different things. And I haven't seen enough of that from Cade Cunningham just yet. And he's he's a big guy. He's an, a talented passer. But we haven't gotten all the way there just yet. And so seeing kind of the theory of the case for Cunningham there would be really important. And it's funny. I, I had Eric Kareen on Real GM Radio. We recorded last night. And we were talking about Scotty Barnes. And I think I, I like Cade Cunningham better as a prospect. I like his building blocks better as a prospect. But it is that same idea of, Okay, if that's not what you are, and I think Kay Cunningham will get there, but it's not certainty, then A, you become a much less valuable player instantly. And B, you're then demanding a higher level in the ancillary skills. And so for me, it's can Cade be that lead creator? Hopefully the Pistons will have meaningfully better spacing than they did Cade's last foolish season. And that's really the key thing for me. So I, I the number one thing I've talked about with Cade, and I I kind of throw out this season because uh, of the injury. Clearly, he wasn't healthy all season. Uh, and clearly, the efficiency has been terrible, as Andreas mentioned. So the biggest thing that I pointed to, you know, you guys are both talking about Cade being a lead creator. And I think it's it seems pretty clear to me that it's too early for that uh, with him. That And John and I have discussed how the Pistons have just been using him basically like he's Luka. And, you know, 30% usage for a guy with his skill set. It's impressive that he's able to get to that amount of usage and also be a a distributor as well. But he hasn't been able to be efficient. He he takes almost no spot ups. His teammates never create for him. He doesn't have teammates who really were capable of creating for him. And they mentioned the spacing as well. So I think just taking the step forward to be the lead creator, like I think maybe he can get there eventually. But if you compare the way Cade is used over the beginning of his career with Jason Tatum, who I think there are some comparable aspects. I think Cade as a dribbler and passer and in terms of just his moves is ahead of where Tatum was. Tatum, better physical skills, probably a better shooter at this point in his development. But Jason Tatum wasn't asked to run pick and roll on every single possession when he was starting off. And part of what I really liked about Cade is I thought that he could work in basically any role eventually, but he was pushed into this lead creator role in part because the Pistons don't have anyone else. So can he post up? Can he come off a screen? Can he space the floor for his teammates and work on the second side some? Could he have a usage that's 26 instead of 30 and really get his legs under him as it comes to the jump shot? Like that, obviously, taking a big step forward in terms of efficiency, just making more of the shots he's creating would be huge. Uh, but uh, to me, I think using more of his varied skill set instead of just, all right, we're going to throw him the ball and he's going to run a pick and roll every single time. That's kind of what I would envision for the Pistons. And then, of course, you know, you'd like to see him be successful there first but it's asking so much of him to have to be basically a Luka 
Doncic at this point in his career. Like how many guys at age 20 are able to do that type of a role efficiently? There are not many here. I'll, I'll unmute you here, uh, Andreas, if you wanted to get one more. Well, Nate, before, before Andreas, can I make a, can I make a follow up with that? Okay. I, I think there's a difference between evaluating a player for their development and their ideal role in the interim. So like, I want to see the signs that Cade Cunningham will be that guy. He doesn't need to be that creator right away because I agree with you. If you want to put Cade Cunningham in a circumstance to succeed, he should be playing off the ball more often. We, we firmly agree on that. But in terms of evaluating what a successful season is for him, especially if we don't have to use the basic like true shooting percentage and all that, I think that it's the idea of can he create that advantage because that's the most important thing moving forward because like, so I agree with you. I think that the idea, they're asking too much of him. He's not Luca. Ideally, they can have somebody else, whether it's Jaden Ivey or maybe they are in position to draft somebody, like whether it's Scoot or Amon Thompson or whatever. But the idea, I don't, I think like it sounds like there's more of a disagreement than there is. But in terms of evaluation, it still is more about the on ball stuff because if that's not going to be a key part of what Kate Cunningham does, three, four years down the line, he's a fundamentally different player. All right, Andreas, finally, back to you here. Yeah, uh, um, that all makes sense. I think I was starting to look up some of the players we were mentioning as as we went. And I think what worries me about Cade is that, like, you can make the comparisons, but his, and, and maybe it's just because he's got too much, too big of a role right now. But, like, Mike Conley, for example, was above average true shooting in his second year in the league, despite being on a very bad team in Memphis. Uh and, you know, Jason Tatum was being used more off the ball, but he was a way better three-point shooter. Uh, you know, he's never, you know, he's he was above 40% his rookie year. You know, Cade's around 30% as a three-point shooter. So some of those things, it just, it worries me, uh, you know, projecting him forward that, like, like, he's been in a tough situation, but even given the tough situation, there's not, at least statistically, like, not that many positive flashes so far, like you'd hope to see. All right, Danny, who's next here? Let's go to Mark Edwards. You are on the air. So first, a quick admission. As you may have suspected, my name is not actually Mark Edwards. I just love this podcast so much that I felt like I had to bring back the inside joke with my Twitter name and my Discord name. So, yeah, it's really just an homage to to that moment. So um, my question is about my, my favorite team, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I spend in unbelievable amount of time thinking about the impending bird rights trap with Dylan Brooks um, with this uh, upcoming offseason. But the fact that we have to pay Desmond Bain, with the fact that players like him are so difficult to find, but he also just has this Dylan Brooksian flaw that is also so debilitating. Like, what do you guys kind of see for our, our, our chances of of either re-signing him at a reasonable number or maybe replacing his production maybe in-house because you know the reality of our situation is that we're a we're a draft and develop type of team like we're heading for, towards like the Spurs culture route and I don't expect us to make a splash in free agency so yeah what do you guys think about, about that dilemma for the Grizzlies I had been very excited about the idea because Memphis with the combination of spending spending flexibility um, whether that was through cap space or through you know trades and all that that they could theoretically upgrade on Dylan Brooks and Brooks has been wonderful defensively I think this has been his best year and he's been a capable defender long before this but the problem, and I, I think you got into this, is supply, where there aren't that many players who are sufficiently good defensively at that size who are ever available in any true sense. 
And so it's not only a bird rights trap, it's a supply trap because you can't find them. And and I like that you brought up in-house. I, I, I know I've been more optimistic about the Grizzlies potentially bringing in a free agent. That isn't something that happened in the 22 off season. But I'm guessing that Zach Kleiman in this front office would would love to see enough by the end of this year from Zaire Williams from some of these circumstances to be like, well, maybe they can do it. But you're, I think they're still bringing back Taylor Brooks anyway. Like you're, you're bringing him back. And what may end up saving the Grizzlies financially, there are two big two big things that might. One is the rising cap, depending on how the timing of all these contracts work, especially because Jaron is already locked in on his deal through 25-26. Like that might end up working out reasonably well. The other component is... Generally speaking, if a team is a championship contender, even in a quote unquote smaller market, owners can be more willing to spend. And so theoretically, let's say it's one or two bridge years. We know where the league revenues are going, but it's not quite there yet that you can convince ownership. You're not going to be paying a huge bill. You're not going to be paying it forever. So just, you know, this year or two will be will be there, but then we won't. And I think both of those are positive signs, but they're not positive signs when it comes to upgrading on Dylan Brooks, because that's really hard to do. Well, let me ask you this, uh, Mark. The team is better if they have him than if they don't have him, right? Would you agree on that? Yeah. He the problem the, the problem that I see with him is that it's not just his defensive ability, it's his strength. Like Zaire Williams has the quickness. He can guard smaller players, but he cannot guard bigger players. There was a moment in I was I'm a season ticket holder. I was at the the game we lost against the Suns. There was this really weird moment where we had it was Paul and Aiton, and we had Zaire guarding Paul, and Adams was guarding Aiton. And there were situations where um, either intentionally or unintentionally we were switching that pick and roll because Adams was like too close up on Paul and Zaire couldn't get over or under the screen. So they just kind of switched yeah. and Aiton was ending up on Zaire uh, was on Zaire and Zaire tried to front him a couple times. He got one steal, but the other six times they ran that Zaire just got absolutely killed and he just doesn't have the strength to guard those guys on like switches. So like you kind of do have to have his strength factor and we don't have, we have that with Roddy, but we don't have the quickness that Zaire has. Yeah, I think ideally one of Roddy or Zaire Williams uh, would be able to take over that role for Brooks, uh, but I, I don't think that's realistic. I, I mean, also so much depends on what's going to happen here in the playoffs. Too. You know, if they lose in the first round and Dylan Brooks kind of has another meltdown in similar fashion to what he had against the Warriors, and it's just like, all right, this guy mentally just can't be in it during the playoffs. I, I mean, that that's sort of maybe it solves your problem some because then it's like, well, who's off? this guy more than the mid-level i mean that's a legitimate question no matter how well he plays frankly but uh and so maybe then obviously if you can bring brooks back at a number where you're you know you're fine if he moves into a backup role eventually or he's eminently tradable you know then you're you're fine with that i mean i think it sounds like uh, mark what you're afraid of is that they're gonna have to offer him 20 million a year is that kind of what like what is your number where you're like all right this is this is gonna be too much here yeah i think i think i i think i could stomach 20 and 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 there are two two quick points i want to make there i was talking to a a close friend of mine about this is that there's I, i gave the milwaukee example as 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 uh reason that you know we might go into the tax a couple years if you know if we can show that we're good enough and maybe we're gonna go into the first band but never you know spend that crazy and then the other thing is that like so you know find exactly what you said like finding out where's his market gonna be and you know one potential landing spot that i was thinking of would be would be the nets and if the nets can clear any sort of cap space i think that 
Dylan Brooks's skill set is really was is really good for them. And, and you know, if you, if you can't get Dylan Brooks to stop shooting on the team that has Kyrie Irving and mm-hmm. and Kevin Durant, then you're never going to get him to stop shooting. And so that's really the team that I'm thinking of is like is the team that might be juicing Brooks's market and cut ca- maybe causing us to have to kind of pay more than we want to for him. Oh, I can give you two teams that I think are going to juice Dylan Brooks market, the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit Pistons, because if the Pacers are trying to be competitive, they need somebody like Dylan Brooks to help set the defensive identity, depending on how they intend to do this with Matherin and Buddy Heald and Halliburton and everything else. Like they could use somebody like Dylan Brooks in the rotation. And then the Pistons, because my expectation going into every offseason now is that as long as Troy Weaver is the general manager, Troy Weaver is going to try to make the Pistons a lot better. And so Dylan Brooks would be one of the easier ways to make that happen if you assume that Cunningham and Ivy and Ivy are locked in as two of the perimeter starters. Last point here. And what better way than going after a guy who can't shoot, right? <laughs> For Troy Weaver. <laughs> yeah. Although Dylan Brooks has a negative wingspan, though, Tanny. I don't know if uh, Troy Weaver would be into that. So re- last point here. The Grizz, as of right now, in the 24-25 season when Bain's extension, which I'm guessing will be the max or very close to it. So, I, I mean, I'm looking like minimum $30 million a year for Bain. Uh, if you look at how much space they would have under the tax that year, and again, you know, we can talk about whether they should be paying the tax or not, they would have 46 million under the tax. So, if you could pay Brooks under 15 million, you're probably good. They could also find out, you know, Brandon Clark, maybe they could move on from him at that point that's also with no Tyus Jones uh, as well but uh, I mean I think uh, people are talking about so it might be realistic to retain both Brooks and Bain at market salaries and then of course you would have really one year of pain and then the cap's going to go up in 25 but the other thing too is we expect these guys to be a championship contender and everyone's talking about how Robert Parra has all this money now and they've uh, the Grizz have been they haven't been like New Orleans where the last few years they've been like very close to the tax like they've been pocketing a lot of money uh they've been right around the cap every year so i I think they i think it should be fine i think this whole we have to pay bane thing is a little bit overblown unless brooks is getting like over 20 and at that point maybe you you have to go another direction man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches everybody sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress 
in your own home, you're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium slub crew tee, the no BS high rise pant, the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two. Every American giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions. And it provides year round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American giant.com and get 20% off your first order. When you use that finger code cap space at checkout, you remember we talk about cap space all the time here on the program. That's 20% off your first order at American giant.com. Don't forget that cap space code. To let them know you came from us get uh miles moose in here thanks for taking my question i'm a raptors fan and I'm having some barnani era flashbacks right now and i think the biggest issue that i've been seeing is just the lack of advantage creation and you'd hope that this would be coming from your point guard but you know, fred he's struggles to create advantage he's okay kind of working seems like when he was working with kyle or um, with Kawhi, but it just seems like he really struggles to either finish the basketball or create any advantage in the half court. And it just, I'm kind of wondering, like, where are we going with this team? Like, you know, the bench is struggling a bit. So Nurse plays kind of the starters and a abhorrent amount of minutes. And, you know, Van Vliet's coming up in free agency next year. And it's like, is he worth keeping? Do you slide him to the two and try and find an advantage creator? And it's just like, where is this guy coming from? Is it, it doesn't seem like Scotty Barnes is really going that way. It's just, it seems like it's, they're very limited in what their ceiling can be, even with, you know, Siakam playing at a borderline all NBA level and an OB developing even further. I just, I just don't really see where they're going and how to fix these problems. 
It's a really thorny place. And I, I, I talked about this a lot, as I said, with Eric Green last night. And the issue, like, so we talked a lot about if he were running the team, and it's interesting, he talked about how he would be more willing to make larger changes than he thinks the actual decision makers are. And and that makes sense. And I think I am too. Be, and it's that idea of where is this team going? And so for me, it, it I think that the Raptors present, I think the Raptors future is a lot brighter than a team like the Bulls. But I also think that the overall arc of this group is at the point where it's just like, okay, let's say you take those improvements, but Scotty Barnes doesn't become a all NBA player on ball guy overnight. Like even if you take the more optimistic stance than I would, didn't have him in top 10 prospects, all that. And Van Vliet, Siakam, I believe this is the age 28 season for both of those gentlemen. Siakam's having a really good year in my estimation. But that to me looks more like a team that can be interesting in the Eastern Conference, but not like even if everything goes very well, not a team that is one of the three most talented, three most dangerous playoff teams. And so I'm a lot less interested in retaining a group like that. And what may hold Masai Ujiri and this ownership group back from seeing it the same way as I do is that they were a move or two away five years ago and ended up getting that move. But Kawhi Leonard, hard to find, hard to find the next Kawhi Leonard and all that. And there's also this interesting decision point, depending on how aggressively they want to go. Now, I don't think the Raptors are going to get too bad to like tank for Webb and Yab or anything wild like that. But they are in a very different place than some of these other teams that could be potential sellers because I think all of the potential guys they could trade are, are have value around the league. So you're not saying like, oh, let's dump Vucevic or let's dump player X, Y, or Z. You're like, oh, these guys are these guys are valued. And so that makes it easier to pivot, but I don't think they will. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the Raptors. I'm glad you asked this question. It's been a frustrating year, obviously, with how well they've played right now. We felt really good about their optionality. A lot of people felt really good about Scotty Barnes, in part that he was a big part of that optionality. That, all right, if it's not the end of the world if we have to retrench a little bit because we have Scotty Barnes. He's going to be our superstar. And so maybe we take a step back for a couple of years, but not a huge step back if we had to move the likes of Van Vliet or Siakam or Ananobi. And we've got some other young pieces. And, you know, we may not be in the playoffs for a couple of years. We'll get a couple more draft picks, but we have our foundational start. Barnes hasn't evolved to, to look like that. Maybe he will in the future. And it would be lovely to me, particularly given the ages of Siakam and Van Vliet, like the 28, you know, let's, let's see if maybe Barnes could just continue to evolve with them. Let's keep this team together. The problem is that those guys just aren't under contract for, for that long. And your chance to get maximum value for them you know van vliet's going to be a free agent this offseason for those who don't recall siakam the year after this it might also make all nba and be super max eligible this year which i as well as he's played i don't really think i would want to pay that even with the cap going up uh, to give the super max to pascal siakam so the history of those deals for guys who are kind of at his level in you know, a 20th best player in the nba something like that have worked out extremely poorly and you're not really preserving a great present so you're at a point now where like yeah hey you know what if we just if all these guys are on the exact same contracts they're on now and we could just keep this team together forever and let them grow together and maybe they'll be better than they've been this year like that would be amazing but unfortunately that option doesn't exist you either are going to have to commit a lot of money on what are almost certainly going to be bad contracts to Van Vliet and Siakam or you really need to move on from them right just letting them go in free agency would be a disaster 
and particularly Ananobi is another guy who's only going to be uh, under contract for one more year as well. So uh, to me, I think I would very, very seriously explore moving on from all these guys because they are almost certainly going to be on bad contracts going forward after this. And it makes more sense just for other teams to pay that because they are close to championship contention. Uh, so how the Raptors could get to championship contention, like, I mean, the other thing I would have thought of is maybe, you know, moving Scotty Barnes uh, this offseason and you have all these great guys who could be the core of a championship team around, say, a Kevin Durant. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be an option. And whoever, if they traded for, you know, a Bradley Beal type, I don't think that puts them into contention either. Um, so I I think I would very seriously explore moving those guys. And if you could get, you know, something close to one of these crazy packages for Siakam or you know, maybe get uh, two firsts for Van Vliet, if somebody were interested in doing that, a, a team that does feel like they're a Van Vliet away from competing for a championship, I, I think I would very, very seriously consider doing that. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. Like I I think, you know, for me, I've been following the team since their inception and lived through a lot of hopeless years and it's not quite there. Like, you know, the team to me tops out as, you know, first round, they're give it a a good go and that's about as far as they go. I I think that Siakam and Van Vliet, if you pay them max contracts, like they're close to being properly paid, but that doesn't win you games. Like the value of a superstar is that you pay them the max, but they're worth way more than that. And I just, I don't think you're going to get a lot of plus value out of these guys. And just, you know, being stuck is kind of first round fodder. That's not really the great, you're in the great morass and that's not really a fun place to be as a fan. It's kind of fun at either ends of the spectrum. So I I'm kind of with you. I'd be looking to see what I could get for for everyone. And it just, it seems like the things that they need are difficult to get. Like they're not, you know, like the center thing, sure. Like it's been kind of annoying that they haven't been able to figure that out. But a lead creator and kind of filling out the bench, like high-end bench guys, it just doesn't seem like there's a reasonable pathway to that. So I'm kind of with you. I think it's time to time to pivot and especially do it early when it doesn't seem like there's many teams that are interested in selling especially selling guys who are at this this level last comment on the this. one oh, thing go ahead, Danny. sorry okay you the one thing i'll mention i i'm a little bit concerned from the raptors perspective that there aren't that many very asset rich desperate teams like the the idea that you need you need a team where the bucks were with drew holiday you need a team where the i mean anthony davis is kind of a different thing and so I know that there's interest around OG and Anobi. I do not agree with Zach Lowe's kind of idea of the the framing that he probably got from somebody in terms of that it would be like a Donovan Mitchell package, in part because OG and Anobi is something close to functionally unextendable due to, to the structure of the CBA. And so, but is there a team that is willing to do that sort of a thing for OG and Anobi that both has the resources and is willing to commit them and you might end up you like if that's if you're setting your sights that high like or the idea like of a pascal siakam trade like i i'm wondering who those teams are because it just so happens as the league stands right now the teams that are both a the best now and that could theoretically move into that group with a significant addition those teams aren't exactly asset rich whether we're talking about good young players or draft picks 
And uh, a uh, this is a non-basketball reference here, but uh, w- one of the people that I follow has written some great books on you know, pregnancy, and which is a, an economist from Brown University, Emily Oster. A lot of you have probably heard of, uh, and if you're, I highly recommend if you're starting a family to read her books. But she also has a newsletter, and she put out uh, this newsletter recently that just said there is no third option, right? Or or there's no whatever number it is. This idea that like you have to make a decision right if you just wait and wait and wait and don't make a decision neither of the options that i outlined are particularly palatable like this team has got a lot of guys who've been good in toronto and you, you don't want to have to get rid of them you don't want to have to be a bad team and take like that's not it's not palatable or but your other option is all right we're going to pay these guys a lot of money and they're going to be bad contracts or the third option which is even worse is you just let these guys leave in free agency now like the, i don't the passage of time maybe they can just start defending better maybe they'll look better towards the end of the season like they did last year so uh, uh, there is like a possibility that maybe another path could emerge over time maybe scotty barnes just finds it and he gets back to looking like a future superstar uh again i didn't think that but a a lot of people think that about him but i I, like the problem is that once you i think you get past this trade deadline the value of these guys in trade it really drops down um so and and i think you know could they defend better is nick nurse's voice gone stale like they could they actually stay in front of guys if they uh, had a different coach or, or maybe if they made a trade for a center then they this could turn into a monster defense I, maybe those are possibilities too but overall like this is an inflection point like a decision needs to be made uh, i would say uh okay let's get hit the comments here real quick danny sure um we could do I'll, I'll do one of these more quickly um yeah screw it from bong lord um, do you think the ship has sailed? That was saying his name, not about the question. Um, do you think that the ship has sailed on the Mavericks being able to put a championship roster around Luca? And my answer, you know, using Kevin Pelton's any chance test, no, there is still a chance they do it. But the best paths to doing so, the most likely ways to add those pieces, those are gone because they don't really have flexibility. They don't really have good young players now. So it's going to, to me, require either a heist of a trade or an unbelievable steal of a draft pick to bump their overall talent level. And the other consideration for them, it's funny, we were just talking about the Raptors. Luca is young, but the rest of the support players for the Dallas Mavericks are older than some may think and definitely older than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, if you want to say where should they have gone, it's tough because even had they not traded for kp they would have been good in luca's second year like he was just too good and the one of the ways i criticized the pals for how they built around ad was i thought they went all in too early on and they never really got another good draft pick after him to add talent i mean that's that's really your number one way to do it is okay yeah you get this great guy but there's nobody you build up slowly around him and you get more you know that year afterwards you get another good player now the the Grizz kind of had the same problem with John Morant but they had Jaron Jackson Jr. the year before that and then they also got Desmond Bain and that would have been one thing that would have been great if they could have just made the Josh Green pick Desmond Bain of course that's you know very difficult to make the absolute optimum pick when you're drafting in the mid-teens and people were saying that that optimum pick was Sneak Bay a couple of years ago so it shows you how hard all of this is 
And so I it's I think it would have been tough given how good Luca is, but at least they would have had first round draft picks to fill in around the margin. Obviously, they could have just brought back Brunson. I mean, the way that Brunson is playing, make maybe he is almost good enough to be a legitimate number two next to Luca if they would have extended him. So clearly there's things that they did wrong. The KP trade made them better in the short term, but was kind of a disaster. And they're just getting past that now. Another I mean, who who have let's say let's go through Danny, the guy is that if had they had that full draft type of trade available that they could have got in the sweepstakes for like i don't think they could have got Harden. maybe drew holiday they might have been able to get drew holiday uh that would have been an interesting one to have holiday brunson and luca holiday would be a pretty good fit next to luca too uh and then you know just to hope to get some more just defensive versatility in the front court and the wing that's probably about the best realistic path i could come up with what do you think that's about as good as you can do i mean try somehow convince Giannis both not to sign that extension and also to sign with Dallas that would be ideal but yeah that's I mean that's, that's what they were going for honestly that that was well, the, and, that was the plan well and then the other part is like maybe they could have gone after some different support players but a lot of those guys were older like the maybe Robert Covington a couple of years ago or Danny Green and neither one of those guys is doing a whole lot Danny Green in part because he's injured for a good team right now they could have helped them in other years maybe you maybe you raise raise where they were two three years ago and they could be you know maybe they would have given put a bigger charge into the Warriors but like Dorian Finney-Smith Reggie Bullock like you could have you could be better than those guys but those guys are also better than the average moves that teams have made for that type of player. Across America BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. 
let's take another one of the, one of these here quickly. Uh, Cocoon Man. Uh, what are the odds the Bulls shifting into a tank? I would say very, very low at this point. I mean, that would require trading DeRosa. And I, again, this is one of those things where you should certainly be looking around. Uh, and DeRosa, and I think there are teams that would be very interested in him if it were that Lakers 27 and 29 picks. I would consider that very seriously, um, but I, I just doesn't seem like that's what they're doing. They've just assigned Billy Donovan to an extension. They just re-signed Zach Levine. They went kind of mostly in with the Vucevic trade. It seems like they're just going to let this play out uh, over the course of the season. So I, I would say, I, I mean, if we're going to, so them shifting into a tank, that's basically trading DeRozan. I would say less than 15%. It's really low. Casey Johnson was on with Mike Scotto. I think it was today or yesterday. Oh, yeah, basically talked about it. And, and I read I read the hoops I put out a, a summary of it and I read that and um basically the other part of this is the person who put this team together is still in charge of the team and still thinks they did a very good job and that you know presumably that the reason that things haven't worked out quite as they hoped is bad luck Lonzo Ball everything else so you generally see that sort of path determinism pot commitment to when because the person who made the evaluation is still the one who's doing it but let's go on to Steven. Steven, you're on the air. Where is he? Well, here, while we're waiting for him, uh, I'll, I'll, let me take another question from the comments here. Uh, Bernard, five players are currently averaging over 30. What are the odds that uh, this year will match or better the record of five for the full season of 61-62? What's your theory as to why the offensive totals are so high? Dan, if you want to give us the who those five players are quickly here, my theory on why offensive totals are so high, I and mean, this has been all of the things that we've been talking about for a long time. And the number one one thing though is and if we're talking about offensive totals of just individual players it's just easier for an individual player to dominate than it ever has been now certainly guys have higher skill levels than they've had but just the amount of spacing that there is now on an nba floor it's just much easier to get to the basket you know we shooting at the rim is much better than it's ever been the percentage of shots taken at the rim is higher as well and also it's certainly easier if you can take threes off the dribble and stuff like that but i think that it's and then you also just have more of a because it's easier for guys to dominate then you've got the ball in their hands more you've got more guys who are capable of playing pick and roll and setting up their teammates and being great scorers so you run everything through them in a way that you wouldn't necessarily uh, for guys who aren't as good at passers so those are the reasons uh, that i come up with i mean that's pretty incredible because that 61 62 season teams averaged about 125 possessions per game and you had all those guys playing like well over for 40 minutes now the league average true shooting was in the high 40s back then so that was part of it too but uh so th- those are the reasons why we're at the, this point in summary who are our three guys who are averaging over 30 right or sorry five guys averaging over 30 right now luca Embiid, Giannis, tatum and shea and then there are three more 29 plus and that's Durant at 29.7, Donovan Mitchell at 29.3, LeBron at 29.1. So, yeah, depending on when AD comes back, I think LeBron actually could get up to 30. Uh, Luka's going to stay there for sure. Like, his usage Yeah, is, he's at 34, too. Yeah, his usage is just too high. There's no way that it, it's going to drop down for him. Um, I think it'd be, too. You, you know, now, his usage has been a little bit higher, probably, because they've had times with Maxi and Harden out. But, I mean, Joel Embiid just fucking shoots the ball. Like, that guy just scores. Like, he's he is also very... 
concerned about being a high scorer. Like he's going to still average over 30. Tatum, I think, what's Tatum at? 30.8. Yeah, I mean, I could see him maybe dropping down a little bit. Um, You know, I don't, uh, Mitchell, I wouldn't necessarily say is going to get there. Like his shooting, I think, has been pretty unsustainable so far. Uh, Shooting over 40% from three. Who else am I forgetting now? Okay. Shay, yeah, I mean, that one, like, he's certainly going to have all he can eat on that Thunder team. It's just a, a question of, can he keep this up over a full season? Like, I'd say he's about 50-50. So, I would say we got pretty good odds. I think we got, like, maybe, like, 60% odds that we're going to have five. Yeah, I, I think four, to me, four is the most likely number, but every number after that in terms of most likely is five or higher. <laughs> like, you know, I, I think there, there are going to be a lot of guys that have the chance. And the only other question, unfortunately, is availability. Like, do, do any of these guys miss enough? time that they uh, oh, become that they, ineligible like, for qualify three. for the, the scoring time yeah. yeah i guess i wasn't thinking about that uh all right let's get oh Steven we're getting in. we're yeah. getting pretty close let's get Stephen yeah. and, and now we'll, he said let's... he just had the wrong uh the wrong microphone so let's go to him okay then Stephen is first you're good now there yes. we go all right sorry guys um so the the first question um I had uh, just recently moved to San Antonio. So just do you guys have like general thoughts or suggestions or or whatever for how to follow, you know, a rebuilding team in general or or San Antonio in particular? And then I don't know if, if you want a second question, if you have, you know, fake LeBron trades, since that's the, the newest rumor that'll never happen. Uh, yeah. So he, he was a little bit quiet there. He's asking uh, tips on following a rebuilding team in San Antonio. And the second one was fake LeBron trades, which we may uh, we may not get to that one. I haven't even started thinking about that one yet. I would I'd want to give that answer a little bit more justice if we can. So uh, tips on following a rebuilding team. Danny, you uh, have probably spent more time about around rebuilding teams than me in your early Warriors coverage tenure. Yeah. And I've also watched I've been a fan of rebuilding teams in other sports. I, I've never had an NBA team, which is very weird. Um, But I think that you're looking for those flashes. You're looking for those signs. You could be, whether it's a player who's a little bit more established like Keldon Johnson, but also Blake Wesley and Malachi Branham, you know, like those kind of guys, like you're seeing the little bits from them. And also one of the ways of being a fan of that kind of team is you get a little bit more into the players who could be coming onto your roster that it's a little bit harder now than it was years ago because not everybody plays in American colleges where like everything's on TV, assuming you're you're in San Antonio, so you're in the US. But like you can watch some Wemby, you can watch some of Scoot Henderson and, and those type of players and you can get invested. Like that's something uh, Derek Bodner and I actually used to talk a lot about. Now he was a draft guy who also did a lot with the Sixers, but it can be something that you invest in as well. But the game to game, like, and the other thing that I would try to do with the Spurs, like watching them is focus more intently on the games when they're playing less talented opposition and just kind of see, okay, well, where are their young guys? How are their young guys looking? How does that compare? Because it gives you a better benchmark than you're playing the Celtics and the Celtics are just better, even though that game was actually kind of close. The other thing I I would add, I think, you know, following the draft is certainly a good way to do it, but I think it's going to be very frustrating. Like young players, they always like to say that growth is not linear and young players will have flashes in one game and they're just going to be terrible the next game. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't watching full games. I might not be as into if the defensive mistakes uh, are driving you completely insane. You know, so catching catching up on the highlights when guys uh, do well uh, might be better. And uh, so th- that's part of it. And also, I think 
just trying to remain realistic. I, I did have, uh, when I was a fan, a couple of times when I was following a rebuilding team in like the early 2000s with the Bulls, when the 3 4 season, it was like, all right, they're finally going to be competitive again. And these young guys, and I, I was like, oh man, they got all these dudes. Like they just drafted Marcus Pfizer. Like he's going to have to come off the bench. And Eddie Curry just shot 58% from the field last year. And Tyson Chandler and, and uh, all these guys, you know, Jamal Crawford, like it, Jay Williams, Kirk Heinrich, like we've got all these guys. Jay Williams got uh, hurt in the motorcycle accident. But still, you're just like, uh, these young guys are all great. Like, we have so many of them. It's like, just remember that half these guys are just going to not work out, right? Like, I, I think it, it, to maintain your sanity, I mean, because I when we deal with rebuilding fan bases, that's the thing where they are just so sensitive about their young players and their potential flaws. And so just try to be realistic about, hey, what are these guys actually going to be? That's part of why ranking top 10 prospects i think is or top 20 is as we did and even more than that is valuable to be like okay yeah, like this is this is a pretty good player uh but you know where where does devin vassell really rank in the hierarchy of the best players under 23 it's like okay all right he's probably you know in the late teens at best okay we need more players right like we we're the only way to eventually make this team good is to kind of continue to be bad and that uh, recognizing sometimes that the guys who are going to be part of the next spurs era aren't necessarily on the team yet um so yeah that was a, a nice long-winded way of uh giving some advice for people following rebuilding teams um anything else you had steven no i appreciate it yeah uh, thanks guys thank you uh Oktar, you're up next hey uh it's actually Actar. oh um, apologies so no, you're totally fine. Um, so I had a question about a hypothetical Denver Nuggets Memphis Grizzlies playoff series mm. uh, because I think as of right now we can say that they're probably going to be two of the top three seeds in the West, um, possibly top two. And I was curious on Denver whenever Denver's on offense, how you would attack the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, because I listened to your recent podcast about how good Jaron Jackson has been defensively. And I, I think there's some interesting scenarios here, especially what we saw with the Timberwolves last year, where they kept attacking John Morant. And I, I know you don't want to take the ball out of Jokic's hands. He's probably the best offensive player in the league. But it bodes the question of what if you put the ball in Jamal Murray's hands and you keep attacking Jaw? Because then you are able to probably score reasonably well um, because you'll still have shooters pretty much everywhere outside of Aaron Gordon. And you're going to be able to wear down Jaw defensively. Whereas if you put the ball into Jokic's hands all the time, you're going to have to face uh, Jaron Jackson a lot more. Now, that could be beneficial because he might get into foul trouble. But I think it doesn't attack the weaknesses of the Memphis Grizzlies as well. Um, so I was curious what you guys think you would do as Denver on offense, Memphis on defense. Um, and yeah. Yeah, this is... I. God, I hope that series happens. Like that would be absolutely fascinating. Some of the strengths and weaknesses of those teams, I would expect that series to be an offensive barn burner uh, for sure. But as far as Denver specifically going at Memphis, I think it, there's a few things I, I would definitely try to make staples. Uh, I think I want, and this is kind of interesting to say this, particularly because Jaron Jackson would be able to guard Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon has been really effective beasting a lot of guys. Like he's probably not 
back and be able to beast Jaron Jackson, but he also doesn't really shoot it. And so Jaron Jackson will be able to kind of hang out around the rim a little bit more. And that's the biggest thing that could cause problems in theory for Denver. So I'm actually trying to get Jaron Jackson matched up onto Jokic as much as I can. And so running four five and five four actions to make them switch that Steven Adams is not like a great help defender you know he he's big he, he can make, get good position but he's not a guy who's going to sky and really bother someone like Jokic and help defense Jokic can overpower Jackson can get him into foul trouble uh what you said about Ja I don't know that I would want to just go one-on-one you know you're probably Ja will probably be guarding KCP so I would try to run a bunch of screens to get Ja onto Jamal Murray, but then I would be running pick and roll after you get Ja onto Jamal Murray, make him get over those Jokic screens, get Murray going downhill, and then uh, if the big has to step up, you can get Jokic uh, in space going down, and then when help comes, uh, Jokic is going to dime up everyone. So I think those are the the two biggest things that I would be trying to do uh, is get Jackson involved in the main action, get him on Jokic, uh, and then you can either run pick and roll, you can post up Jokic against Jackson, and... uh, then you make Jai get over screens because uh, I don't, you know, I don't think that Jamal Murray is going to just like, you know, overpower Ja in the post or something like that. I think it's more about just getting him onto the ball handler and making him get over that screen over and over again with Jokic. And then you get that uh, two on one going downhill. Those would be my focuses. Anything you wanted to add there, Danny? I, I just wanted to note that even though it's often easy to think of defense as like the position versus the position, I don't think Taylor Jenkins is going to intend to start possessions with John Morant guarding Jamal Murray. It's going to be you. You could try to get it no, through no, he'll, he'll be on setting KCP, a screen for sure. Yeah, through setting a screen with KCP. Now, how open are you to switching that? Could you maybe even do a version of like a switch double or like a, you could do a lot of different a lot of different elements there, depending on how well Jamal Murray is shooting. And, and it's interesting. I was smiling when you were giving your answer because I had a similar thought. And the, with Jaron, and it's also. I like to think of this as the facing Bam at a bio playbook where it's like if, if a team has one strong, like really strong help defender, you're actually the first thing you should do is get them away from help positioning and then do do everything else you're going to do. And that at times has been one of the best ways to attack the Miami Heat. Yeah, that's a, that's another good one because they do do some switching with Jackson. So you run an early screen, get him, you know, put get him stuck on Michael Porter Jr. and now he can't help. That would be very right. useful as well. So yeah, I think there's it's going to be a lot of intentionality required in that Denver approach. Um, and you know, I mean, I think we could even see something along the lines of Dylan Brooks guarding Jokic and then Jaron on Aaron Gordon or, or uh, particularly if they're going with a smaller group without Steven Adams who usually hasn't done very well against Jokic uh they might try that they're going to try a lot of different stuff uh I, but I think neither team is going to be able to stop the other like that's a series I think could go either way it would be amazing BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Anything else here in the comments uh, before we bring in a, another speaker? We got about ten minutes left or so here. Yeah, I thought there was an interesting po- uh, an interesting point brought in by teammate Dan Feldman in yesterday's chat, talking about how one of the underrated things teams do offensively is positioning their guards and wings to get back defensively. Like you're making a conscious trade off, and the idea of the Rockets too, where they're going a lot for offensive rebounds, and that may be a part, not the entire thing of why their transition defense has been so bad. I think there are lots of reasons why Houston's transition defense has been below expectations, but well, well, I, I, the, I, it hasn't been below my expectations. I thought that'd be true. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Um, but, but I think that's a, it's a really good point. There's also the idea of like, I mean, you brought this up a little bit in terms of that Raptors Hornets game of like execution, like that knowing whether you're guarding a space or you're guarding a man, like that can be a real weird problem. Like you give, you give up open shots just because you're not really reacting to what's going on in front of you. So there are a lot of trade-offs there and that can, you can make adjustments in season. Apparent, uh, uh, the Raptors have done some of that, but it's hard. It's really hard to do. Uh, the odds that the Rockets win a playoff series by 2030 from Jet Fumes. They're going to have so many opportunities to add good players between now and then. And I mean, like, so, yes, the Rockets are very unlikely to win a playoff series this year. I would say they're pretty unlikely to win one next year. But if they're bad enough that they're not even getting into the playoffs for a couple of years, they should be able to build the resources. I I still think it's... Is it less than 50? What do you think? To win a playoff. So that makes it means you're a top eight team in the league. Or at least a top four team in the West, which actually might be a higher bar depending on the year. Well, this would be a good question, actually, which maybe we don't we can't look up here in time. But how many teams have not won a playoff series in the past nine seasons? Here, I'll do it. I'll do it right now. Actually, if you want to keep reacting to Houston, I'll count I'll count yeah. it up. But I, I think that that would be interesting context here. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And so for Houston. I'm less sold that Jalen Green is that player. This, of course, came up when we did top 10 prospects with John. But they're going to have paths, you know, that could be getting somebody really good this year. That could be getting somebody and also next year. And they do have that. uh, I believe it's next year. The pick is top four protected. I have real GM's sheet up right now. Yes, that is 24 where it's they keep it if it's in the top four. They lose it if it's anything else, which is wild. But they also have. The internal improvement of guys like Shane Goon and Jalen Green and KPJ. But yeah, they're not there now. I think it's going to take somebody that isn't a current Rocket being the best player on the Rockets for it to happen. Yeah, I, I think that's that is definitely correct. So in the last nine seasons, six teams have not won a playoff series. Sacramento, Orlando, New York, Minnesota. Who am I forgetting here? Detroit. Minnesota won a Minnesota won a play in series. <laughs> Detroit and Charlotte. So that's uh, I think and I would say that Houston the the fact that they are actually starting as low as they are right now and that they're going to have another high draft pick, that actually probably gives you a better chance of winning one late in the decade. Obviously, they're probably 
probably punting on like the first two years after this. Yes, yeah, like, but like it's probably harder for a team where the Bulls are to do it than it is for a team where the Rockets are. Exactly. Yeah, that was the point I was making. Like, if you're if or if you've been, uh, what, you know, Bulls, you know, Washington, even even Sacramento, honestly, at, at this point, where you're just like, all right, not only are we not good enough to win a playoff series now, but it's hard to see how we're going to get there. Uh, that's definitely uh, a worse place to be in than the Rockets. Obviously, a better place to be would be, yeah, we have a good chance of winning a playoff series this year. <laughs> so, yeah, let's call it, let's call it, you know, uh, the odds that they don't win a playoff series is maybe call it 25, 30% by 2030. Uh, let's bring in uh, Ryoga here. Hi, guys. First time you're here in a long time. First time in Discord. How are you? Yeah, good to hear from you. How's it going? Great, great. I moved to Germany from Poland. So, anyway, oh, oh, I'm, wow. uh, I'm okay. on my own I now. I didn't realize yeah. that. Is it, what was it? What's your actually? Is it, is it Marco? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, yes, it's me, it's me. So, you moved to Germany from Poland. Is that an upgrade for you? Yeah, a little bit. It's a bit of an upgrade. Let's see. Let's see what's next. I just started a new job a few weeks ago. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. So, um, I wanted to ask you one thing because um, I've been listening to you for two, three, two years and a half, three almost now. And um, I think you have some strong beliefs that uh, drive a lot of your uh, um, opinions and your judgment, your uh, valuations on players and teams. One that I, I pick up very often is uh, the fact that uh, the center is a defensive position. So I think that, okay, even even for, for guys like Jokic, but even more for the for guys that are lower, let's say, uh, lower level guys, you seem to always look at the defensive side first and uh, the challenge that i want to make you is what do you think because i am seeing a trend that i can imagine coming of uh, uh, more and more passing centers like on the Jokic archetype what i mean is uh, guys like of course Jokic, but also if you see sabonis i think that maybe shangun uh, and maybe other, other guys like this that have very good passing that can uh, work from the top of the key from the high post but also punish the punish uh, switches uh, against smaller guys, not necessarily at Jokic level, but have this kind of uh, uh, skills can enhance your offense to even higher levels because they can, I think they, it's a kind of archetype that is very additive to other kind of people, to, to shooters. You can, you can run many, many kind of uh, plays. You can, you have space, uh, you can move the ball. And I think that this kind of guys, and the example of Sabonis in, uh, I think in uh, um, Sacramento is, is a good one. I think it allows to to give to reach even higher levels of uh, of offense that maybe sometimes balance uh, the limitation that they have on defense that you can maybe in the roster construction trying to cover up in other ways. Yeah, that's my a, question yeah. is: Do you think you can imagine you can imagine a trend like this? That more also as teams, this is a copycat league. People are seeing Jokic, what Jokic has been able to doing, and maybe give this kind of guys more of an opportunity to run an office, more opportunity to run decision. And this is going to open up uh, new opportunities and have a, a different way to interpret the the, the, the center position. My, maybe looking for additional protection somewhere else or doing what the Bulls were doing with Alonso and Caruso to protect Vucevic. Because I would love to see a different way, more teams play in a different ways and different kind of tactics and strategies all being successful rather than having a more of a specific, let's say, template 
that teams are trying to follow. What do you think? This is a, a great way of putting it. I, I'm, I've thought about this some as well. And uh, Jokic is probably the player that I've thought about the most in the NBA. And as you alluded to, uh, I'm of the belief that it's really hard to win a championship with him because of the defensive limitations. And you're probably going to get, if you have one of these more offensive focused centers, they're more likely to not be as good on defense. Like maybe Bam Adebayo would be the one guy. They've run some stuff through him before, but he's not like a Jokic or Sabonis level of passer, particularly when he's on the move. Uh, But there is a we kind of talk about you know the what is expected from a position and like the, the value over or under replacement right like Jokic's value is probably very much under replacement once you get into the playoffs but it's way over replacement at center and so yeah I think there's a very good argument that if you have a center who really is that good and you could even think uh, of Draymond Green when he plays center as well like to get something that's really core to your offense now it's like uh, you you don't necessarily have to go to, with more defensive players around that guy you can just have the same level of offense that you usually get at one through four which are more offensive positions and then you add in even more offense at the five and now like are you just pushing it to this ridiculous level and you know what are they Danny like 124 125 when Jokic is on the floor this year like that shows you maybe that there is some uh, validity to that the problem of course comes in the playoffs but another thing that I think is actually really working to the Nuggets advantage this year is that it seems like we're moving away from having truly dominant teams at this point too so maybe it is you know if you're going up against the 17 warriors or you know the 2013 miami heat teams that are really elite on both ends then you know you're not going to beat them with just an offensive team but if there isn't a team that's elite on both ends which i mean maybe the celtics the only team that i would look at that can get there or maybe golden state if they're firing on all cylinders in the playoffs if you don't have teams that are elite on both ends then yeah maybe a just ridiculous offensive engine and just out scoring everybody could work it's a great point and i i've thought about this a lot too and i i will agree with yoga's central point which is i would love to see teams like this succeed and however we want to define that in terms of winning a championship being in the mix for it all that like the league is better when more diverse approaches are successful like that that's just the way these things are however nate i like that you brought up draymond green and we talked about how this is a copycat league it is important to remember that Basically, every other person that has ever played the NBA is a at center is a worse offensive player than Jokic. And so just like Draymond Green has proven to be really special as the like do it all small ball five, Jokic is the might be the exception that proves the rule because it's not, you know, in the regular if the goal if we're talking about championships, like yes, players, you know, in the Sabonis Shangun mold can absolutely make your team better than they were. If and if we're if that's makes you happy, great, great, great. Until we see more consistent success from those teams, and that often requires better teammates in the postseason, I'm still not going to believe that it's necessarily the approach there. Still puts teams like the Kings in a better position than they were before Halliburton part accepted. But the question is kind of can you get the defense from somewhere else? And does it require someone basically as good as Jokic? Because another interesting question here is Carl Anthony Towns. Where in their circumstance, the Wolves, basically two separate general managers, assessed it that if Towns was playing the five, their defense was so bad that they weren't viable as a good team. And that's telling too. Yeah, let's bring one more in here. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. If I can just, if I can just say one thing. Yeah. So, sorry, just to, to, to find out. 
to me, the key thing that I want to see, because if it's a Jokic, of course, the team is going to uh, uh, adjust to it in the way that you build because you have this kind of talent. My curiosity is for guys like Sabonis of Shengun that maybe are not max players. They are 20 million players. They are, uh, I don't know, 20, 25, something but below, let's say, maybe Sable star. If it makes sense to incorporate this kind of level of player and then having uh, a team... Uh, that is that is using him, but not building on it. Because if you have Sabonis as your first or second best player, it's not going to work for sure, I, I guarantee. If you have two other stars and Sabonis, two perimeter stars and Sabonis, then that could be a bit different. Because Sabonis could enhance this, this kind of perimeter stars to an even higher level. That, that was my point. But anyway, thank you very much. Yeah, no, that, that is a good point. Of, of course, those guys are going to expect to get paid <laughs> as well, right? So if you're starting to build the team, then it may not be possible to get two guys who are better than Sabonis out there. Let's finish up here quickly. we got about three minutes left. So uh, Dolph, if you want to jump in and you can be uh, our last uh, speaker of the day, if you can ask your question really quickly. Hey, can you guys hear me okay? Yes, we can. Okay, excellent. So I'm I'm fascinated by the way that even a smoothing adjustment to this next media rights deal is going to affect the overall cap. So uh, the best number, assuming the NBA gets kind, the kind of rights deal that they're hoping, and assuming that there is some sort of smoothing agreement, it still seems like that I saw Barron's estimate that the the cap's going to jump about fifteen million per year starting in 25 26 of course if they don't get smoothing it might jump 50 million you know in that year but essentially what this sets up for is this huge summer of 2025 kind of bonanza even with smoothing right um and if you look at the list right now of 2025 free agents it does look like a lot of key guys have lined up that summer to be available, you know, Giannis, Tatum, uh, Jamal Murray, um, uh, you know, Anthony Davis, um, uh, Brandon Ingram, you know, there's a huge list of guys who I think are expecting whether they re up or not, you know, with the current team to renegotiate and kind of get paid in that summer. Um, and, you know, so assuming that all of that is correct, and, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. This also seems like, you know, the the way that the Lakers get back to relevance is that right now, the only things that they have going into that summer is they have right now bird rights on LeBron and Davis and nothing else. And that the 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 way that the Lakers, you know, realistically, I think the next two years, they don't have a great path forward. But if they get into the summer of 2025 with essentially bird rights on those two or bird rights on just Davis, plus a blank cap sheet and every superstar, you know, uh, lined up for, um, you know, uh, to, to, to get paid, that they're going to get one, a couple of those guys, and then all of a sudden immediately become very, very relevant the second half of the decade. I know this is way speculative, but what do you think about this? Yeah, it's all just about uh, getting things worked out ahead of time, doing your uh, tampering. And well, yes. Well, and I'm wondering actually, are we that far out from seeing you know some of this stuff start to float up? You know, the 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 next banana boat. Um, People just you know, we we need to get the the. 
the the labor agreement done and then the the you know the media agreement done but this time next year um this scenario becomes very real right two things do guys stop signing extensions because they're doing that right now that will be a big indicator and then the other one is you brought up anthony davis's bird rights Let's say Davis is a part of the Lakers at that point. How excited are people to play with 32, 33, 34-year-old Anthony Davis? Or do the Lakers decide, hey, we can we can get two or three of these guys together instead? That That's going to be a challenging question for Jeannie Buss and whoever she has running the team at that point to decide. Yeah, I mean, we're just, we're. I think you, you make a good point that around this time next year, maybe the media deal is done. Also, just what are the extension rules in the new CBA? Like, is it will it be like last time where if you can't really get paid commensurate with the cap increase via an extension that occurs before that then yeah you're going to see more players uh, become free agents uh, and uh, how much is the smoothing is there going to be that big of a bump that year those are all be interesting questions uh, and i want to thank all of you for being you subscribers e- you wouldn't e- yeah, sorry. oh, oh yeah. you wouldn't yeah. expect any of these these big names to sign deals beyond 2025 right now without knowing what the 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 media rights negotiation is right uh i mean it's tough to get out that far dame lillard we've seen do it uh i, I mean i think if you're old enough you just sign the extension like if you're dame Yo- lillard, Jokic, did it. Jokic did it too uh yeah yeah i guess that's true um but he only goes one more year out after that though right oh uh, no he's he has 26 27 right. and yeah. then a player option for 27 28 you're right yeah i mean yeah mm-hmm. it's hard to say if he's making 54 million dollars mm-hmm. that you're gonna get screwed <laughs> Year, I, I would <laughs> fair enough uh, okay let's close up here thanks so much for being subscribers we appreciate it. these are always really fun to do um let us know uh, in the discord or or email us uh, at uh, dunkedonprime at gmail.com if you really like this particular format we really like doing it uh, so uh, we can do more of these if uh, that's what you would prefer rather than some of the more traditional episodes of course we're trying to evolve uh, in a way that's uh, going to be best uh, for this community and thanks again everyone for joining us us here today we'll talk to y'all next time everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.